Let's talk to interesting people. Let's talk about the process of seeing things differently. Let's talk about the craft of molding truth and fiction together to arrive at something new and exciting. And let's have fun while doing it. Welcome to the True Fiction Podcast. Welcome to the True Fiction Podcast, where we talk to creative people to find out where all that creativity comes from. I'm your host, Patrick Boggs. Across the table from me is our amazing co-host, Norbert Yates. How's it going today, Norbert? It is going great, Pat. It's a it's a hot day, but you know what? I got a good run in. I'm feeling good. Wow. Ready to go. And you know, I woke up this morning and and, and walked, you know, uh, walked to the bathroom, so I feel pretty good too. <laughs> yeah, so. there you go. It's all perspective. Tonight we have a really good guest. Our guest is award-winning writer and director who was also the production manager for the AMC series The Walking Dead. True Fiction welcomes Laura Ann Heaton Gray to the show. How's it going today, Laura? I am great. Thank you so much for inviting me on. Well, thanks for coming. I also wanted to mention that you started the Excelsior Studio, which is an award-winning, full-service video production and photography studio specializing in commercial video, advertising, and marketing. Is that you? <laughs> that's me. I'm a little taken back because I was like, oh, he's done his research. All right. <laughs> well, let's not go too far. <laughs> Yeah. So yes, Excelsior Studios. Um, we've kind of been around for, you know, many years as a production company, but we have been open as a brick and mortar now for about a year and a half offering commercial advertising, social media management, we help artists. We do acting classes. We help all kinds of artists to kind of get their start and give them the tools that they need to get started in the industry. You know, of course, we started out as a film production company doing film. Yeah. What's it like down? So you're in Alabama, right? I'm in Huntsville, Alabama. And I know you're uh, adjacent to Georgia. And I know Georgia is a, it's kind of the Hollywood of the South. And I was wondering, how, how's that all working for you down there? Well, you know, a few years back, I would say about mm, Walking Dead was probably in its about third season when all the other producers, you know, in L.A. were discovering everything that Georgia had to offer. Um, And the incentives, the tax incentives started flowing in because of The Walking Dead, in my opinion. Um, You know, there was a lot of other film going on in Georgia, but I don't think it was until The Walking Dead really boomed that it got the attention. Georgia got the attention. And so a lot of the other states have kind of, you know, started to move up there as well to get more production into their state. And so they're offering many more incentives for people to come. I know I just finished a film with David Lipper, who uh, played Viper on Full House, and we filmed that in Mississippi. And uh, they had really good tax incentives there. And so that's what brought them from California to Mississippi. Things have kind of gone up and down. Alabama, I'll be honest, is not the greatest when it comes to tax incentives and bringing people here. I'll leave it at that because I don't want to um, burn bridges, of course. Um, (laughs) But uh, yeah, so the South really is booming. And I think Georgia had a lot to do with that and kind of taught some of the other states to raise the bar and what they offer for film productions coming in. But you're not really seeing in Alabama, you're not seeing a real boon of of filmmaking or anything? 
We have a lot of independent filmmakers here. And it's a struggle for independent filmmakers that are here because these big companies that come in from L.A. or New York, they still kind of insist on bringing people from L.A. They would rather hire someone from L.A. and pay for all of their lodging and their travel and all of that for one line than find someone here in Alabama to say that one line. And so it, it's, it gets a little discouraging because Alabama still has the reputation, I think, of not having any professionals here. And that's totally wrong. We have many professionals here in the state of Alabama that are doing amazing work. And if we could just get recognized as that, then we'll be doing fabulous. But we do have a lot of independent film that goes on constantly. It's just not your major tier stuff going on. I would say we probably have tiered productions of maybe 20 a year. Oh, wow. Yeah, not what it should be, but maybe we'll get there. One of the things I was thinking about when you was talking about environments, I think about seasons, you know, I think about here in the Midwest, we have very distinct seasons. In, in the South, I'm just, this is just a curious, you know, kind of a side question, but do you have like very distinct seasons down there? And does it bring visual opportunities in, in uh, you know, the fullness of those seasons? Yeah, I, we have seasons definitely, but they're much shorter than there are other places. Like our winter is probably, you know, the very end of December, early January until now. And we've kind of lost spring, honestly. It's like all of a sudden it's just hot and humid, <laughs> like spring happened on Easter morning and then it just all of a sudden is summer. <laughs> and so it, we have seasons, but they're, they're much shorter than, um, you know, other places. And that is one of the pros to filmmaking, especially because like, in you know, I'll go back to talking about Georgia. One of the reasons why producers started to love Georgia is because Georgia has mountains. Georgia has cities major cities it has rural it has areas that look like desert you wouldn't know that um, but it does and it has the beach it, it has everything that you could possibly need as far as an environment for film production and so that's another thing that I think with Georgia Alabama Mississippi we have all the different elements all wrapped up into one little package which makes it easier to do an entire film in one state instead of trying to you know, coordinate crews all over. Um, so yeah, we, we have seasons, but they're short. Piggybacking on that, we, we're kind of in a, you know, a, a very mid-sized town, probably what, 60,000 maybe? About 60,000. And I was, we went down to, my wife and I went down to uh, downtown Louisville and there was a lot of very interesting, I don't know if the word's French architecture, but a very old older kind of architecture. I was just wondering about that. Do you have varieties of, of architecture down there in that area? And this, I promise this will be the last question I have about the area. <laughs> no, you're good. Um, yeah. So like with, 
let's say the Vampire Diaries and uh, the originals, you know, a lot of those sets are supposed to be in New Orleans or in Virginia. Um, But you have cities in both Georgia and Alabama still that have that architecture and that look still that, you know, we're not damaged, you know, in the war. And so we do have some of that definitely. Yeah. I was looking at your CV and Pat was making me do some uh, research for (laughs) this, uh, which I'm not prone to do. But one of the things I think about when I, I see somebody that does a lot of different things, uh, I think about two questions. And one of them is, well, what do you like the most? And what do you think you're the best at? Oh, my goodness. I am definitely a serial entrepreneur. I dabble in just about everything because I've done everything. And so that's one thing that I love about the arts is once you're good at something, you know, you can do it well and I can do a lot of things well as far as art and film and photography and and all of that but if I have to choose what my favorite thing is and what I, I you know if I had to choose one thing to do forever and not do anything else it would probably be directing I love the process of taking something off the page and making it come to life and helping the entire team to take this thing that was just words and give life to it, you know, breathe into it. And uh, it's, it's, it's amazing to be a part of that kind of thing. So I, I do a lot of screenwriting and I've never produced anything film-wise myself that I did not also write. And so it's extra special for me to have something that came from my brain and went on paper. And now I'm making it come to life by all of these moving parts in the actors and the crew and the DPs and the, you know, lighting techs and all of that. And just the creative process of taking something that was nothing and now it is something that we can show the world and that they can enjoy. And so, yeah, if I had to choose one thing, it, it would be directing. As a director, do you think of yourself as a, a someone that creates the environment and interprets, you know, what's on the, on the script and, and, and uses the actors to, to create a story? And then visually you leave that to the the DP or are you, you know, a visual stylist as well as somebody that works with actors? How do you think about, how do you think about your style of directing? Well, I mean, it, it honestly is truly a team effort in that we all have to come together and make this one vision match together. As a director, you're the leader of that creative process. So what you say you want to see, then all of those people are doing their very best to make sure that what your vision that you have is what eventually happens for that production, for that scene. And so I, I don't want to say that it's all me, but it, it's a, it's a, but rather it's a, a team effort and when you're working with a DP you know the two of you want to 
um, agree on what visually we're seeing. And there's a lot of times where as a director, I've had to humble myself and be like, I honestly don't know how to achieve what it is that I have in my brain right now. So let's come together and you tell me what we can do, what is achievable and how we can best execute that. So, you know, the director and the DP are, you know, hand in hand, you know, one's the left hand, one's the right hand. So I think it's very equal in that stance because it might be my vision and what's in my brain, but he's the one or she is who makes it happen for me. And so I think it's very equal in that stance. And that's one reason why I think that DPs should get a lot more recognized than they are because they are just as much as part of the creative process as the director is. And they're actually who makes that happen. And so you have all these directors winning the awards and, and stuff like that at the, you know, the Oscars and all of that. But, you know, and yeah, there are awards for DPs and stuff like that, but it's not seen the same, if that makes sense. And I think that everyone, as far as the crew and the, the people who are coming together in that creative process, I think they all deserve the same amount of, you know, applause because it, it's not just about the director. It's not just about the DP. It's about everybody coming together to create. I, I'm going to come at this as a visual person because I do illustration. I've also, you know, I've done some video and all that sort of stuff. So let's back up to when you're writing a script. Do you, okay. do you see now? I mean, I mean, there's a whole lot of questions, but I'm going to just pick, pick on the uh, visual string for a little bit. And so when you write a, a script, do you see the images in your head? Because I'm a visual person. So I see everything, everything that I, if I were to write something and I've written, you know, a few little treatments and I, I start with the image. I know not everybody works like that. And do you start with the image there? And then when you, you know, you get, you, you hold on to those visual ideas in your head. And then when you're interpreting it with your DP, that's your springboard. Or do you just feel the dialogue? Do you feel the emotion of the thing? When you go as a director, what's your genesis as you're writing? What do you, what are you feeling? What are you seeing? What's going on? So I am very much visual. I'm a visual learner as well as a visual communicator. And I think that's what makes me a good director, if I can toot my own horn, is that I'm very visual. And when I am writing, when I first start writing a script, I go ahead and I create a concept poster of sorts. So I'll pull images offline of what the theme that I'm seeing happening in my brain so that I have a reference because the poster, you know, is supposed to be a representation of that project. And so that's one of the first things I do. It may not be the actors that are going to be in it. It may not be anything that actually has to do with it as far as the scene or the setting. Uh, well, I mean, it would the setting, but, you know, as far as the actual building or anything like that, but I pull off, you know, buildings that are similar to what I have in mind for whenever this happens. I may not have even wrote it yet, but I know in my brain, this thing right here is going to happen at some point. And so 
I go ahead and I pull all of those images and I, I make a poster and I also make a lookbook for myself, for the characters themselves. I go ahead and I pull off their wardrobe, um, what they're going to be wearing for each character. I go ahead and I, um, you know, write their backgrounds and what they've been through. Where were they born? What's their favorite color? Where have they worked? What were their parents like? What was their childhood like? All of those kinds of things so that I have both visually and internally everything that is all I, I create for myself all the tools that I need to effectively write that story because I already have visually what they look like, what their wardrobe is, you know, if they're high class living in LA, then their wardrobe's probably going to look like this. If they are, if it's a country story, you know, urban or whatever, you know, their wardrobe may look like this. And so I go ahead and visually give myself and mentally all the tools that I need to write that effective story and to help with that character's arc and where they start from and where they're going. And so it's, it's dual. It's not just visually. I also get emotionally involved with these characters because I've written their story, their backstory. I know what they've been through. I know what they're going to say when this happens because I understand them and I, I know their emotions and, and all of that. And so it's, it's, it's all of the things. (laughs) And so yes, visually and emotionally, I am all in 100% a lot of times before I even write the first word. What's your favorite genre to to work in? I would say I end up writing more drama than I do anything. And I think that a lot of that has to do with my own life and the stories that I'm pulling from. I work primarily actually in the faith-based film industry, but I do a lot of secular scripts as well. Um, I've only just started, you know, I've, I've worked in the secular film industry for a really long time, but I've only just really started doing more mainstream scripts that would be interesting to audiences outside of the faith-based industry. So it, it's about 50, 50%. I write a lot of stories that deal with hope and redemption and encouraging for people for whatever they've had happen in their lives. And so I think that's why, as far as genre is concerned, whether I'm writing faith-based or I'm writing something secular, it usually ends up being drama. I love action stuff. I've only wrote a few short scripts for action stuff because it's still something that's a little bit new to me. I really like it. And if I'm watching a movie or a TV show, I love the action stuff, but the writing's a little bit different. And so I'm trying to learn a little bit more about that type of writing. But yeah, if, if I were to pick a genre, it would be more drama. I love comedy and I can perform comedy better than I can write it. <laughs> you know, one of the things that I've been thinking about a lot lately, we had a a, a while back, we interviewed a thoroughly fascinating individual who was quite the character. And and I, I think about a lot of times people, and I think a lot of things that I see, you know, they're, they're, the stories are, you know, solid or whatever. But I think about like these characters that 
I myself, if I was writing, I'm not sure I would believe these people. You know, there's, you know, we interviewed a guy and then, you know, you just, you just look around and you, every once in a while you will see this, this character that you go, man, I'm not sure that they're real in some ways. If And I just wonder about if you ever think about that, because it's, it's really impacted me in the way that I think about making, I think about Elmore Leonard, who writes all the, you know, a lot of his stories had these quirky characters and you go, are they really real? And then now I'm starting to go, yeah, I bet they were. I bet that he saw somebody, he was a hangout, hung around somebody, or he heard a story from somebody else of this character, and it was a germ of an idea that he created, a, he fleshed out a character for. And you go, ah, uh, yeah, I could, I, I, I could believe that now. And I've just wondered, so, so few stories have that. I just wonder if you've thought about that at all. It's just something that's been in my mind the last, I don't know, three or four weeks and, and uh, just kind of noodling it bouncing around in my, my brain and actually giving me a headache, but you know, just incorporating characters that you go, man, this one is out there, but I want to put them in because it'll be fun or it'll be interesting or it'll be, you know, or do you go, Ah, this, you know, I, I just want to write something that I can relate to. And that seems, you know, in my comfort zone. I can tell you that probably 90% of the content that I write is based upon something that I have seen or someone that I have met because, and that's the thing about me is I want to create stories that people can relate to and that, you know, they can be like, Oh, you know, that, that character is just like me or, Oh, that character is just like my dad or my sister or my brother or my neighbor, because when they can relate to it, then they get into it and they're more likely to enjoy it because they're, you know, thinking about that character that they know that's just like this character all the time. I am taking screenshots on Facebook or Instagram or TikTok of stories that people have told or text, you know, about somebody that they know. And I take inspiration from that. There's a a project that I'm working on right now, and it's called Stalling Seasons with String. And it's just a concept right now, a script. We did create a teaser for that script in order to show that to investors to get funding for the film. And I heard this story, well, it's not the whole story, but the story was based upon a story that a parable of sorts, it's not actually from the Bible, but I say parable because it was a story that was told to represent something that my pastor gave. He was telling a story of a young boy who thought that he could stall his mother's death by stalling the seasons, by putting the leaves back on the tree so that fall doesn't come because the mother's death was probably going to, you know, happen sometime in the fall from the cancer that they had. And so I was truly inspired by that story. And I reached out to him and I was like, is that a true story? Is that like based upon like real people? Because I have an amazing idea for a script that could go with this. And so if it's, you know, a real story based upon real people, then I probably need to go get the rights to that story in order to be able to tell it. And he's like, no, I made it up. And I was like, oh, well, um, can I write the story? (laughs) And so in order to change it, you know, a little bit, um, the 
characters' gender have been changed, the location has been changed, they now have siblings, there's, you know, other people involved. I took that story and I took another story that I was writing and I merged the two together to make it more unique. So it's not, you know, totally that story that the pastor told for that example that day. And, you know, just this week, there was a fellow filmmaker who was telling a story about his grandmother. And I said, you know, I commented and I said, bam, that's a screenplay. Can I write it? (laughs) And so, yeah, the majority of what I write is based upon stories that I've heard or posts or people that I have encountered. I think that probably most writers are that way because art is life and life is art. And so art imitates life. And I think that we are more authentic that way whenever we do incorporate that into our stories because we actually have something in mind and it's not just something that has come out of nowhere. Can great stories come out of fictional characters that come out of nowhere that's not based upon anybody? Yeah, of course. But for me, I would say 90% of, of what I write is based upon a story I've heard or someone that I've met. Tell me about your studio. All right. Well, um, it's a funny story, actually, how we even got started. We've been a production company doing film production for a really long time. Um, and then when I moved to Huntsville about five years ago, I got a job working for another commercial advertising company because I, I wanted to still be involved in film production here in Huntsville, even though there wasn't much film production. And uh, so I got hired there to direct and produce for that advertising company. And I fell in love with doing commercial advertising. And so I started saving up money because I was like, you know, one day I want to do this for myself. I want to have my own company that is producing commercial work. And I, that was at the beginning of 2020 and 2020 happened, COVID hit whole nine yards. And um, then I ended up getting cancer in my intestines and I had kind of a well, this is never going to happen. You know, I don't know if I'm even going to be alive next year. My savings were gone, you know, from all of the, you know, bills and everything associated with all of that. And I was kind of at my wit's end. And I have always been big on TikTok. I've been with TikTok from the very beginning uh, when it was musically. And, you know, being an adult and posting your TikToks on your Facebook, it's not very favorable with your audiences because they make fun of you because they're like, you're an adult. Why are you (laughs) posting TikToks? And I'm like, it's creative. I'm a creative person and it's my outlet. You know, it's my therapy to be doing TikToks. And um, my daughter was on there as well. And she had a... um, idea to do a TikTok where she was going to do some handstand in the kitchen. And she actually ended up doing a handstand and falling out of it and falling into the oven. At this point, completely busted it up. At this point, I was about two weeks after my surgery to remove all the polyps and everything. And, um, you know, still just very down on myself and everything and I posted a TikTok that um, was, it, it wasn't even anything created. It was literally just a still image of the oven that was broken. And I was like, 
you know, I'm at my wit's end. I don't even have money to fix this oven because of all these medical bills and everything. And I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm so upset. I can't believe this happened. You know, woe is me, pity party type thing. And it blew up. Like her video of her falling in the oven did not go viral, but for some reason mine did. It ended up being a lot of bullying actually because there were a lot of people who were commenting that probably my real oven i'm not just out for money you know how people can bully and just be mean as teenagers and then it 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 went viral like in waves because then it went on to well your daughter needs to be punished and then people arguing back and forth about whether she should be punished and then it reminded people of this old vine that said, I promise I'm going to get to the studio, but it's a story. Um, this vine where this mother put um, oil on the ground and she called her kids into the kitchen to come and get their juice. And they come in and they slide and they slide into the oven and it breaks. And so there's literally probably like 50,000 comments on that one thread that just say, Keenan and Colin, come get your juice because it reminded people of that. And so it went viral and then the bullying started where people were going onto her account and her Instagram with death threats telling her she should kill herself for, you know, doing this to her mother when she's sick and all of this kind of stuff. And it was just an absolute insane, insaneness. When this happened, a lady reached out to me who lives in Canada, who was like, I have been watching all of this stuff unfold. And I just want you to know that I am so sorry this happened to you. I'm so sorry the bullying is going on. Um, I want to help you and I want to pay for you to get a new oven. Wow. I was like, okay. Um, I thought, you know, at first it was a scam because they were talking about uh, sending like a cashier check, you know, stuff like that. And I'm like, this is just another one of those things. And so she asked me what my PayPal was one day and I was like, you know, I don't think you can steal anyone's information through PayPal, so I'll give it a try. So I told her what my PayPal was, and she ended up sending me enough money to get an oven, a new microwave, and a refrigerator. And uh, no, the refrigerator came later, just kidding. And also with a note to take my daughter out for dinner so that she can have a good time since she's had such a hard time with people bullying her online. All of this we become friends and we start talking every day, getting to know each other. And I'm telling her the story about, you know, she's asking, you know, how is your health and all of that? And, you know, we get into what my goals and my dreams were and all of that. And she was like, do you have a business plan? And I was like, I do. And she's like, send it my way. Cause I might know some people who would be interested in investing. Wow. And I was like, okay. All right. So I sent her the business plan and within a month I had the entire startup funds for Excelsior to be able to get a brick and mortar building, buy all the gear that we need. This building was not favorable when we moved in and every single inch of this place um, I did almost by myself. I had, you know, my husband come in every once in a while. His parents came in every once in a while and a few friends would come in every once in a while, like paint a baseboard or something. But, um, every inch of this place, you know, has my, my fingerprints on it. And it's because of that TikTok 
that happened that I was able to actually officially start the company and become an LLC and have the building and offer what we do. Um, you know, I was trying to do commercial advertising and photography and all that before having the building. But when you don't have an actual building and a business, people don't necessarily see you as legit. And so it was hard to get clients because I didn't look legit. And so having the building and having the gear and having, you know, everything that's here, we were able to actually start the business and be a successful business. And so what we offer is commercial work. We do um, your commercials. We do your social media management. Um, What's different from us, from other social media management companies is that, you know, they'll pull off stock stuff and use it for your social media, but we're different in that we create that ourselves. We go to your business and we take the photos of all your products, of your employees, of the offices, of the building, you know, anything that we can possibly grab both photography and video wise to use for your social media. And then, you know, depending on the package that you choose, you know, we post anywhere from one to five days a week for you. Um, we also shoot music videos. Uh, we do a lot of in-house stuff for businesses as well, as far as like some businesses do like a video newsletter that they send out every month. And so we'll film that for them. We do a lot of, um, other video podcasts where they actually come in the studio to film those. Um, we produce Huntsville Insider, Hunts Bolt, um, Cove Monkey, um, just to list a few. Um, and so we, we do, you know, it's very broad spectrum as far as what we have that we can offer any business or individual. We, you know, specialize more in the business for doing their, their stuff and their photography, their headshots and their commercial work. Uh, but we certainly don't turn down, you know, individuals who come in who want, you know, a family shoot or an infant shoot or, you know, personal headshots or portraits or anything like that. But as far as what we provide, if it involves a camera, we do it. <laughs> Obviously, you've went through a very significant health situation and you've come out of the other side. I think about just in my little circle, I've had people that I've lost in the last couple of years and people that are struggling with some serious health issues. And so it's affected me, even for the way I look at, you know, going about, you know, I, I feel like there, personally that, you know, you have to be very aggressive when you have time because time slips through and it's gone. I don't know if you've had any sort of a epiphanies as you've come out the other side of this and and you've you know created a a, your own business how has your viewpoint on things changed or has it changed I can't remember a time in my life that I have not had a health issue so I actually caught mono when I was a lead in a show when I was younger and that resulted in getting chronic EBB, which is the chronic version of mono. It's like whenever your, you know, immune system is suppressed by, you know, whatever going on in your life, and it can come back up. Um, and I've just, you know, learned within the last few months that everything that's happened to me since then 
they are about 99.9% sure that everything that I have gone through since then is from that. I've had, gosh, I've had meningitis. I've had shingles. um, I've had cancer. I've had autoimmune stuff. They say that, you know, it's it's a disease that mimics lupus. They can't pinpoint it on lupus, um, but it's a disease that mimics lupus. And so I've always dealt with something, which we didn't know why I kept catching all of these things. It's like, what in the world, you know, is wrong with my like DNA that like everything that, you know, possibly that is ugly and can cause a lot of health issues comes my way. And so it's become a way of life for me to just be an overcomer and to um, not let it get me down. That doesn't mean that I don't have weeks where I probably don't leave the bed very often. Um, but it's, it's about recovery. And when I recover, then I get back up and I get back after it again. I, when I was 30 years old, I had a nervous breakdown. Um, I, after having my third child, I had a lot of issues and ended up having to have like an emergency hysterectomy. And so I, um, was bedridden for months during that pregnancy and and after, and I had a lot of time to reflect on my life. And I realized I'm 30 years old and I have not achieved everything that I wanted to achieve in life. And I'm like, you know, all of these things keep happening to me, you know, heart problems, lung problems, kidney problems, brain problems, all of this stuff. I may not even be here tomorrow, much less next year. And I haven't accomplished what I feel in my heart I'm supposed to accomplish before, you know, I leave this earth. And so I, I live on the daily of making sure that I don't let a day go by, that I don't achieve something that I know that I should be doing, a dream, a goal, whatever it is, because we aren't promised tomorrow. And I know that I have so many things that I still want to accomplish. You know, I've won awards for my work. I've, you know, accomplished a lot in my own eyes and in the people around me, but I, I want more, you know, like we all do, you know, I want to be able to go to the theater and watch on the big screen and, you know, a national or worldwide theater release of a movie that I wrote and I directed. That is my ultimate goal to be able to do that one day. And so I'm not giving up until I get that opportunity. Even if I'm a one hit wonder, I still did it and I achieved my goal. And so that's how I live my life every day. Have you written that screen? screen uh... the, your, uh, stairway to heaven. That's why we are. <laughs> yeah. Or, yeah. Your yeah. stairway for, to you, heaven. Have you written your stairway to heaven yet? That's a good question. I have about five different feature films that are written. And I, I honestly think that stalling seasons with string might, might be that one. And so that's one reason why I'm trying so hard to get the funding for that film so that we can get it in front of audiences. I think I've got two final questions for you and it's a two parter. So Buckle in. 
It, it, one, my first part is, because we talk about creativity and people talk about creativity. One, what is creativity to you? What is good creativity? And then two, since you're a storyteller, what is a good story? What, I, are, what are some of the elements that a good story that your stairway to heaven is going to have in it that makes, you know, something that stands out? I think what makes a good story is something that reaches down inside of you and pulls something out of you and evokes an emotion. If you are watching something and it doesn't make you feel something, then we've not done our job. We have not done a good job in connecting you with that story or that character and evoking that emotion for you through, you know, the cinematic process. And so I think that any story that is good is something that brings emotion to you, either makes you cry or makes you angry or makes you jealous or whatever that emotion may be. Um, If it doesn't do that, then why are you watching it? You know, we watch those things to feel emotion. We don't watch them just to pacify ourselves. We, you know, we may choose to watch something to pacify ourselves, but what we choose to watch and what we determine, yes, that was good or "Ah, I didn't like that is based upon the emotion that it made you feel. And so for me, I think any story that is good is one that made you feel a certain emotion or a certain way. What was the first part of that question? Well, I'm going to, before I get to that, I'm going to follow up on this one real quick. What is the, what is the last story that blew you away when you watched it or either read, read it or watched it? You went, Oh my goodness. That one, that one got you and wrenched you. Is there one that you can think of and you go, ah, I watched that one, man, that one just floored me. Oh my goodness. There are so many. Um, I mean, I'm an, I'm an emotional person anyway. And so, (laughs) um, you know, I think if I'm thinking back on a movie and it, it it may be just simply because I watched it again a couple of weeks ago, there's a a movie called the lovely bones. Have you heard of that movie? Seen it. Mm -hmm. Peter Um, Jackson, isn't it? Yeah. Peter Jackson. Yeah. Yeah. And so because I think, you know, the story is being told through her eyes and what she experienced and she went through, you know, and she's on the other side watching everything that's happening, you know, in reality where she is. And so we, we see everything through her eyes. And so I think with that story, it got to me because not because I feel like I've been murdered or anything like that, but I could relate to her and I could feel her story you know, deep down in that, you know, we get to the end and we still, you know, the world still doesn't know what happened to her or where she is. And that's how it ends. And that just irked me to no end um, because we get to see her story, but the real world within the film, of course, has no idea that she is now ended up in this safe that's in this big hole that is now going to be covered up. And I think that it touched me in that way because I've felt very often like I might end up that way, that my story may not ever really get known or get told, and it's just going to be buried somewhere with me. 
And um, so, yeah, it brought on a lot of true emotion for me. And like I said, it's probably just because I watched it again, you know, the other day that it's the first thing that came to mind. But yeah, I mean, that one brought up a lot of emotion. And even though it doesn't have anything to do with me directly, I could still see my story in her. And so um, it, it, it's one of those stories that's pretty crazy that um, got to me anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's, uh, you know, it really challenged you on revenge and retribution. You know, there's a lot of what you want to see. Uh, it was still just a, a heart. It was, yeah. So that, yeah. You know, the, here's the thing. Uh, my thing is probably, uh, and I think this is probably you too just by what you've been saying is there's got to be heart. There's got to be a heart to the movie. If, if not, I mean, it could be the best movie in the world. If there's no heart, I don't want to see it. You know? Right. Now, one thing I wanted to know is uh, you spent some time with the walking deads and uh, how did that go? It was good. It, um, I felt it, it feels like it was so long ago that it's, you know, just a distant memory. <laughs> um, I have also had a, a set accident since I worked with the walking dead where I had a concussion oh, no. and lost a lot of my memory. Um, and so a lot of the memories that, you know, I know are super precious. I don't have them anymore. I know that I worked there. I remember traveling. I remember, you know, all the things. Um, but as far as, you know, the day in day out kind of stuff, it's really fuzzy, but I just remember, you know, it's, it's a loving family. Everyone really genuinely cares about each other and they look out for each other. And, um, it's all about family to this cast and this crew. Um, it's not just about the storytelling, but it, 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 it's one of those sets that you want to go to every day. I've been on movie sets where I am dreading going because the atmosphere is just not positive. Um, there's a lot of, you know, bullying and backstabbing and, you know, condescending, you know, all of that. And the walking dead is one of those sets where you will not find any of that. Everyone is absolutely supportive and loving and, and caring. And um, if I could go back and, and do that again, I definitely would. Cause they're amazing. All right. Good. Hey, I don't want you to forget about Norbert's other question about uh, what is your um, what is your uh, creativity? What is yeah, what does what, that mean to what you? Is, yeah, what is what is good creativity to you? Because we we hear that term a lot, and I like we to say hear, it a lot. We say it a lot, and so we like to hear good definitions of it. Oh gosh, um, I mean, creativity is personal um it is something that only you can create for yourself really in that you know it's birthed out of you in your own brain and you know it's one of those things that's subjective of course you may think it's grand and amazing i know i've had those moments where you know i create something i'm like oh look what i made you know and people are like "Mm, i don't know um and so it, it's, I think creativity is a personal thing and whether other people like it or not, 
that's not your business, whether they like it or not, because it's something that you birthed and you created um, that you're proud of. And so it really doesn't matter what other people think about it. If it blows up and it's, you know, something that everyone's like, oh, you're, you know, a genius, you're the next Van Gogh or the, you know, next um, Spielberg. Yes, that's the word I was looking for. The next Spielberg. Um, that's not, you can't help that. Um, the world is very strange in the things that catch on and you have to just do what you feel in your heart that you're supposed to do, that you're supposed to create. And if nobody likes it, that doesn't matter because you do. Um, there's this TikTok sound that goes around that says, why do you create TikToks if nobody watches them? And the response to that is, I do. I watch them. You know, I created them. I watch them. I enjoy them. And so that's, that's where I get, you know, from creativity is that it doesn't matter, you know, what others think about it as long as it's something that you're proud of, that you made, that you did. Oh, very good. Yeah. Well, Laura, it's been great talking to you. I don't want to take up all your time tonight. Um, so how can our listeners, how can they find out more about you, Laura? Well, our uh, website is down right now, but if you're watching this in the future, uh, our website is uh, com. You can also find me on Facebook at Laura Ann Heaton Gray. I have a YouTube channel that is Laura Ann Heaton Gray, and you can find me on TikTok as Musically Laura Ann. And on Instagram as Laura Ann underscore official. Well, very good. You know, we didn't even touch your dancing and your and your music. So that's uh, a, you're a you're a, a wealth of of creativity and uh, talent. So I was really pr- appreciate you coming on and talking to us tonight and indulge, indulging all our silly questions. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just happy for the opportunity to talk with you guys, and I look forward to the next time. Yeah, me too. That sounds great. Have a great night. You too. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for hanging out with us on the True Fiction Podcast. If you like what you've heard, please visit us at Facebook. You can also leave us a review on iTunes or through your favorite podcast app. Until next time, stay true and stay creative. You're too late. Somewhere